0: Good morning, church. How are you all today? Yeah, we're going to work on that response. Yeah, we're going to keep going. Uh, Man, it is good to be with you and to worship our Lord together. Um, There's this nice hole right here for all of the students that have gone away this weekend. So um, we'll be praying for them as they travel back on Monday night. But uh, man, it's good to see you guys. My name is Andrew. Uh, I help out with our college Bible study. I do this sometimes. I also help with family groups, but uh, it is it 's great to see you all. Uh, the reason that we 're here today is to continue to study in exodus, and uh, as we have looked through Exodus, we want to see that we are landing right in the spot where God is telling the instructions for the Passover again. right So we have uh, these the Passover instructions that Jared preached on a couple weeks ago, and then the Egyptians joined… some of the Egyptians joined Israel, and they have left uh, Egypt. But then there's this, like, retelling of the story of the Passover, or not the story, but the instructions for the Passover, and it's kind of… it's kind of awkward because somebody in our family group this week asked, like, all right, so last week they left, and then this week it says that they left again… So just to let you know, they haven't left again. Moses is writing down the instructions for the Passover that kind of got left out in the first part. And so this section uh, is kind of how we get to Revelation 7. So we don't get Revelation 7 where the multitudes from every tribe and every nation, every tongue, we don't get to that, the multitudes of nations praising God who sits on his throne without Exodus 12, 43 through 13 too. So this is the stepping stone. That verse that Carl read is what we see in the end, and this is a fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham, and is the launching of God's multi-nation kingdom. It's good. It's how You and I will one day be beside our Egyptian brothers, our Babylonian brothers, our Roman brothers, our Persian, our Chinese, our Russian and Korean brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what we're looking forward to. And we don't get there without Exodus 12. So I'm going to read this text to you, uh, and then we're going to pray and continue in our study. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, Let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. And the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, would you give us wisdom from your word this morning? Would you open and soften our hearts to be molded to become more like your son Jesus? We thank you for your word, it is good, you are good and gracious and kind. We thank you that you draw us to yourself in spite of our sin, and because of the love of your Son, we love you in Christ, amen. All right, so for that text, I want to make a couple of observations, right? So it's going to be uh, five key observations for us. We see that foreigners could not eat of the Passover, right? So, what does that mean? That this meal, this Passover meal, is not just a meal. A couple weeks ago, I was I came in uh, through the doors and I hadn't eaten any breakfast. And uh, this is a real honest moment, so feel free to like lighten up a little bit. But like I walked by the communion table and I looked at it and I was like, man, I am starving. Uh, fat guy problems, right? Like, I wanted so badly to go back there and just take a little piece of the bread. I didn't, all right? So, y'all can all, like, take a sigh of relief. But it's not just a snack. It's not just a meal. This meal is for a people that have been delivered. That's why people that were just passing through, who are just like, hey, we happen to be in town. It's Passover can we grab dinner with you tonight? Well, if it's Passover, the foreigner's not sitting down with the people of Israel and saying, like, let's eat this lamb and some of this unleavened bread. Does that make sense? So there's, there's no reason for a foreigner who did not trust in Yahweh, the, the one true God, to eat of the Passover, because it's not just a meal. It's a meal of remembrance. It's a meal for the people who have been delivered. The second observation is that slaves could partake in the Passover meal, right? And this is slaves who have been circumcised. That means that they are into the family of God. They said, I will worship your God. He will be my God, right? These slaves could partake in the Passover meal. Why? Not because of the fact that they're just owned by the people of Israel, but because they trusted in God, And this kind of shows us that classism, right, that uh, the intersectionality of our world does not matter to God. God sees every socioeconomic status and says, you're welcome to partake of the life that I can offer you, everybody. He doesn't respect a certain class, a certain race certain personality type. You're not more prone to follow Jesus if you're uh, extroverted. It doesn't make you more spiritually mature if you're an extrovert. God welcomes all to worship him. Third observation is that foreigners who want to take the Passover must be circumcised, and then they can eat it. The Passover meal is for those who are committed to the God of Israel, right? Much like the first observation, it's not just a meal. You must be committed to the God of Israel. The fourth one is God welcomes those who are sojourners in to be as natives. God welcomes sojourners to be as natives. That should make us rejoice. The sojourner, the person who's out on the street, who doesn't have a people, who feels like you are not welcome into any group, that person has been plucked and called to be into the family of God. And such were some of you. Me, we, we I don't know, do we have any people who have like Jewish roots? in here Nobody's raising their hand. All right, welcome. You guys, we're all sojourners. We we don't exist into the kingdom of God without this passage. Is a great thing. And the fifth one is in response to God welcoming all nations. The people of Israel are to dedicate their firstborn all right? And so what is the firstborn, right? It's not just your favorite child. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm not the firstborn. I'm a secondborn. So firstborn is not just the second, or first child. It is the one who will inherit everything in your family, right? So it's not just the idea of this one special kid. It is the one who will receive and get and plan the future of your family in this time. So what does that mean for the Israelites? If they're to dedicate their firstborn, they're not just dedicating this one kid to God. They're dedicating their kid, all of their things that they have, and Their entire future of their family. Everything is to be given over to God. So what I want us to see today is that God doesn't change. A lot of times we think of God, New Testament God. New Testament God says, hey, everybody's welcome. Old Testament God, I only like Israel, right? Like that's kind of, sometimes we make that dichotomy. And it's not true. God has been welcoming in all peoples from the beginning of time. He's always been about hospitality. A fun word, a fun little thing I learned about hospitality and studying for this is um, that America has kind of taken the idea of hospitality and just kind of like ruined it, right? Um, We like to think of hospitality as like Uh, The Magnolia Home Channel. Anybody fans like Chip and Joanna Gaines? Yeah? Nobody in here? Okay. Just me and Amanda. Sweet. Um, But, uh, and my wallet apparently. But, um, so hospitality is not just like, hey, I throw parties for my friends and I have my family group over to my house and it's a great time. Like everybody that I love gets to come into my house and it's awesome. Hospitality uh, you know, you get the word, you have the word hospital that comes into hospitality. It's for people that are hurting. But the word in Greek, and I don't normally do this, and I, so I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but it's phyloxenia. And phylo is where, what, one of the words that means love. And xenia is the word that means stranger. So hospitality, literally, for us as Christians, is not about welcoming people who we already know into our homes, know and love, but it is about the love of a stranger. Romans 12, uh, 13 says this, and Amanda and I actually had this read at our wedding. And I don't think we even knew what it meant. It says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So, Contributing to the needs of the saints is not, uh, sorry, the showing hospitality is not just like a, hey, here's how you contribute to the needs of the saints. They're actually a dichotomy. There is a difference in between how you seek to show love to the saints, which is, we do that in family group here at our church, but then to seek to show love to the stranger. And we should be doing both in our Christian life as a reflection of the character of God. He cares for Israel. He loves them and he brings them close and then he invites people in. God loves the stranger and we should also. So if we think about what, where they are, right? They're in Egypt and they're leaving, and God gives them this command right at the point where they had no dignity to their fellow, like to the Egyptians. The Egyptians didn't care who they were. They didn't treat them with hospitality, except for that very last part where they just like give them all their stuff uh, to send them out and say, go, get out of here. Your God is hurting us, so we're going to leave. We're going to get you to leave. But the Israelites are there, and they don't have any dignity, and God says, I'm going to make you a different kind of people, one that looks at the outsider, that looks at the people who were like you in an exiled land, and you're going to be kind, and you're going to welcome them, and I'm going to set up laws so that you have to treat these people well. Even your slaves will be able to celebrate the Passover with you. They will eat at the table with you. Another awesome point that our, my family group uh, brought up this week is that the sojourners are made in the image of God. So the people that aren't in this room are made in the image of God. How awesome is that? But also a challenge for us to treat them as such to love everyone well and to invite them in. From the person who's on the other side of the world fighting the war over Ukraine to someone who votes differently than you here in town, everybody. We are to be hospitable. We are to love them, the stranger they are welcome to become a native of our people. So what's the requirement then to participate in the life of God? Here in this covenant, it was circumcision. But we learn much later on in the the scriptures that circumcision is just a sign of faith, right? So what's required to participate in the life of God, the Passover here, it's faith. From slave to sojourner, even an Israelite, an uncircumcised Israelite could not take the Passover. But a faithful, loving of the one true God is the one who it takes the Passover, who participates in the abundant life that God has to give. It's faith. Matthew Henry is an old dead guy that I like to read sometimes, and uh, he says it like this. This was a mortification to the Jews. It taught them that it was their dedication to God, not their descent from Abraham, that entitled them to their privileges. A sincere proselyte was as welcome to the Passover as a native Israelite. It's pretty awesome. That God is not just about the ones from a bloodline, but he welcomes everyone to participate In the life that he gives. Everyone. This sermon is going to get really repetitive, okay? We're going to to keep talking about the love of the stranger. But here's something that I have been pondering that's like just weird. My brain works weird sometimes. Y'all feel that ever? Yeah? Yeah. There we go. Thanks. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate you. Uh, Why does God command his people to eat a meal? You ever think about that? Like, God loves food. Yeah, he made it, and he said it was good. So, feast, y'all. But uh, he makes it a law to eat a meal. He makes it a law to eat this meal, and why is it that this meal uh, is, is so special? Because it's not, it's not the food, but it's that when they would walk and they'd stand up with their shoes on and their staff in hand, and they would eat this meal, it forces them to remember something that happened. It forces them to remember that they have been delivered. Every year, at the beginning of the year, on whatever day it was that they're supposed to eat this, they had to physically do something to remember what God had done. And for generations down the line, right? So think around Jesus' time. Those people weren't close to the generations that were delivered from Egypt, right? But what required them to remember that God had delivered them from Egypt? So they sat down every year and ate this meal. They ate it together. They didn't just eat, but they ate and remembered. Sometimes with communion, we can passively go to it and forget why we're doing it. So we do it every week. It can just become like, all right, I'm going to sit through a verse and a half, then I'm going to stand up, I'm going to walk to the back, I'm going to get my bread, dip it in the cup, and eat it, and be a little bit more satisfied before lunchtime. We don't want, you guys, we don't want, I have to challenge myself to not go through the motions like that. It is to be a place of remembrance of what Christ has done for us on the cross. That he has delivered us, he's shown us mercy. And for generations, the Passover was not just for these specific people to remember. But it was a looking back on what God had done. He passed them over and allowed their firstborn to live. And because of that, they are to dedicate their firstborn, their everything, to God. Uh, this is a really cool thing I found in Ezra. So if you, ever, if you know anything about Ezra, um, There's this time where, so Israel, they get out of Egypt, it's awesome, and then they get their land, and then they set up kings and all this. There's lots of history, you should read it. Um, But then it happens again. They get exiled, they're out of the land. They go back into bondage, back into captivity, and uh, by an evil nation, Babylon, who worships their king, and eventually Israel gets released to go back to the promised land. It's like a second exodus. They get released, and uh, other people come with them, not just the Israelites. So the Israelites, they leave Babylon, and some Babylonians and some Persians come with them. And right when the temple was being built, uh, or the temple got built, and then they celebrated Passover— In in Ezra 6.21, it says this. They had joined them and separated from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Those people that came with them out of Babylon are there with Israel, a part of Israel, worshiping the God of Israel, and they're taking Passover. They're faithful. They have been welcomed in, not by any merit of their own doing, but because God welcomes in all who would call on his name. It's pretty amazing. And in his providence, God is calling people from places where the Israelites are exiled, He's calling those people to himself. You guys ever feel like a sojourner in this world? Like people think so much differently than you? The, the, no, one's, no one else is living by the word of God, and you just feel exiled. God has us here exiled in this world so that just like the Egyptians who came with Israel out that some would come and worship with us. Just like as they are in Babylon teaching and talking about the things of God, that some Babylonians came out with Israel and worshiped God. They have abundant and eternal life. Maybe you're at work, you feel like you're in exile. Or in school, you feel like you're in exile. You feel like no one else gets it. Well, guess what? Help them get it. That's your job. God has called you to speak of the things that He is doing and to welcome and invite people to worship our God. Be a light. Stephen and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and he said it like this. God has set aside a people to welcome the rest. He did it with Israel, and he's doing it with the church now. You are not a part of this team to just sit on the sidelines. You've been drafted, you've been brought in to go and do something with your faith, that is to bring other people alongside you. And for every single one of us, just like Israel is to give the firstborn, which is their symbol of everything, their future their plans, all that they have in their homes, in their tents, on their backs. Everything is to be dedicated to God. So, here we are before we get to some really, really practical application. God is always, God is and always has been invitational and welcoming. God's people are often among those who are not God's people. I'm going to say that one again. God's people are often among those who are not God's people. God has called His people to image His character of welcome and invitation, and God has demanded that the people of Israel, people of faith, trust Him with their everything and their future. So couple questions. Are you a person of hospitality? Not the kind, not like Chip and Joanna Gaines kind of hospitality, where all your friends come over to your house and you're having a good time, but a person of hospitality that welcomes strangers. A lot of these college students don't have homes. You have dorm rooms. You know, Jesus doesn't ever talk about inviting people into his house. He didn't have a place to lay his head. But guess what, he walked into other people's homes and acted like a host. So for you college students, most of y'all are like right here, so I'll focus on you. But uh, when, you're, when you don't feel like you have anything to give, to love and welcome a stranger, man, give yourself. Right? Love people well. Go in and, and be the person that brings food to the table, that offers the rides, that uh, offers help in a subject that you're better at than someone, right? That's hospitality. It's just helping and loving someone who's not in the fold of God. And then do you have any room in your life For students, are you stuck studying all the time, trying to make the greatest grades of anyone ever? You're not going to do it. But are you going to try? Work to the bone? Are you going to every Christian event possible so that you can be around all the people that think like you and it's never stressful? Are you just comfortable? Do you have any time to welcome a stranger? For adults, for me and my family, are we too busy with work or sports or entertainment, studying for an extra degree, doing things for selfish gain, always looking at the stock market, developing new business ideas, Instagram, do we have any time in our lives to welcome the stranger. To walk across the street to our neighbors whose cars are beat up maybe or people that scare you or across the hall, the classroom. God has placed you exactly where you are. To be a missionary servant who welcomes in those who are not here yet. So, make room in your life for those people who have not yet been a part of the deliverance of God. Make room in your life. Look at your schedule. Look at your schedule. Say, hey, I can, I can do Friday night's I will invite one stranger on my street to my house. Make it, make it law for your home to be a person of hospitality. Or maybe you're in a family group that is really, really tight-knit and it's so large that you can't invite any of your friends to it because the house is just not big enough. Maybe it's time for you to start thinking, hey, what if me and a couple other people from this group left this group, this tight-knit community, and started another one? We made some room in our group to be able to welcome in the rest of the people of this city and this county. Maybe it's you need to sit in the front row so that people Who walk in late, don't turn around because it's embarrassing to come and walk into the front. Another thing that we can do is to talk to strangers. Anytime I ever get on an airplane or uh, my wife gets on an airplane, Amanda, I say, hey, talk to strangers. Because we've been told so much in our life as kids. Kids, don't talk to strangers. Adults, um, talk to strangers. We're like Made to become these people who just isolate. But God wants to advance his kingdom. Open your heart up to talking to someone who doesn't look like you, doesn't think like you, who you know nothing about. Because God can do something in that conversation. Right? Become a person of invitation. Invite people to join you to your family group or to church or just to pray. Um, something that I've tried to make a habit of doing, and I don't do this well, but when I remember, I, I try to do it, is to ask my waiter or my waitress, because they know, if you're a Christian, they know that you're going to probably pray before the meal, right? Who prays before meals in here? Yeah? Yeah. Especially at restaurants, you know, we like to show off sometimes, but look, we're the people praying in here. But if your waiter or waitress knows that you're going to pray before your meal, ask them, is there anything that we can pray for you about? The people that I've done that for have stopped in their tracks and just been so honest. And it's an incredible opportunity because when we pray, we're, we're speaking to God. And this person may, may never have cried out to God in their entire life. And we get to represent them to the Father and ask for God to save them, to work in their life, to move in their life. And then after you pray for them, don't tip them poorly, okay? Tip them well. Those people need some love. And then the last thing is to... Trust Him with everything. I've been reading a book by Rosaria Butterfield called uh, "The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Highly recommend it. It will rock your world and make you feel like you are the least hospitable person in this entire planet, right? But part of the thing that she talks about is that parents, we love our children so much and it's hard to welcome strangers into your home when you feel like it could possibly What if they think a thing or say a thing that my kid hears and fill in the blank? What if they go down this pathway because of a stranger said this? God loves your children more than you do. He does. God loves your children more than you do, and he will do as he pleases with them. He will lead them in paths of righteousness. He will deliver them from their sin if they would trust in faith. So before, um, I'm really bad at like landing the plane, so I'm going to tell you two stories, um, and I'm going to try not to get emotional. I'm not going to be able to do it. So, There's a young man, uh, Lawrence, sitting up here. He was sitting in Jethro's in the spring and was not a believer. He'd been crying out to God to give him a new set of friends. And a few people from our church befriended this young man. Had him over to their house multiple times for cornhole and dinner, just having fun. And because this young man was hanging out with people from our church so much, and I had never seen him at our church before. I asked him one day, I said, hey, what church do you go to? And he said, I've never really been to a church here because I've been afraid that I wouldn't know anyone. And I said, wow, really? Because uh, you've, everybody that you're hanging out with kind of comes to my church, it's awesome. You should come on Sunday. And he did. And then he started coming to the Bible study that we do on Wednesday nights. And he made some other friends who love Jesus. And a few weeks later, he comes up to me and tells me that he's prayed to receive Christ. And he was baptized on Easter. Right up there. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Awesome. That is what it looks like to welcome the stranger into our life. God wants to use you and your hospitality to draw people to himself. There's another story that happens probably every Sunday at every church in America where a couple of young people walk into church a lot like ours they're greeted at a welcome table then they walk around and maybe no one recognizes them no one comes in and introduces themselves they're intrigued by the message and the music but turned off by the people in the room I heard this story from a girl at Jethro's when I invited her to the branch she said i I came i really like the teaching but no one talked to me, no one greeted me. I didn't feel very welcome. It seemed, and I quote, "clickish." And that wasn't my experience here. It wasn't Lawrence's experience, it probably wasn't your experience. But she has ended up at a place that teaches works-based salvation, but has a radically welcoming community. She walked out of here, a place that teaches the truth, a place that teaches grace and welcoming and the kindness of God and into a place that uses shame and guilt and fear to coerce people to follow God. And she said, I didn't feel like anyone wanted me to be there. The only reason I share that story is because I want more Lawrence's and less of this girl. I want us to be a people that radically welcome. Talk to strangers. Invite and love. First Peter 2.10 says this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let it be known that we were all dead in our trespasses, that we were all slaves to sin, but because of God's great hospitality and providence that we see in the very beginning of the story of his people, that we've been called the people of God through Jesus Christ by the shedding of his blood and his resurrection. So this morning, as we move to the table, I want us to keep the lights on, right? It might be a little weird, but we're going to keep the lights on and look into the faces of the people that God says, you're mine. These are your brothers and sisters, sojourners who have been brought near to the table of God. And as we take communion and celebrate that we've been brought near, look and smile in the faces of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're not a believer this morning, We'd ask that you would stay seated, that you would consider that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He lived perfectly, lived a life that you could not live, and He died on a cross for you. He took your your death and He made it His own. He died for your sin, for your imperfection, and He rose to life so that we could have a relationship with Him him. We ask that you would refrain from taking the bread and the juice. Because it's more than just bread and juice, it's a way that we like the Passover, remember that God has delivered us. So as a delivered people, let's take this communion. We believe he is so worth worshiping. Let's pray. God, thank you for being hospitable to me, for bringing me in when I was a sinner. Or thank you for the hospitality for, that you have for everyone in this room, that you love these people. Or would you draw us to yourself? Would you draw more people, the city of Delanaga, the people that don't know you, Lord, the people that are worshiping other gods, Lord, would you draw them to yourself? Lord, and teach us to be your instruments of hospitality in the world that we would love strangers. And it's here, Son, Jesus' name, that I pray. Amen.